Caution to listeners, the following podcast includes content of a graphic or distressing nature. When I was in my relationship and knew that it was very unhealthy, it was very difficult for other people to understand. And I think in the in the time that I was in it, I didn't even understand how dangerous it was to me. Although we think we have evolved as women in our society, there still is such shame around domestic violence and violence against women. The most dangerous time for a woman who's in an abusive relationship is actually leaving. So if you could imagine that you're living your worst nightmare every day and it would potentially get worse if you tried to leave it. You know, he may have told you um, that if you leave, I'll kill you or you won't be found. Unless you've been in an an abusive relationship or have experienced violence, then you, you can't understand what people go through. Somebody Must Say These Things, a podcast made possible by the Transition House Association of Nova Scotia. Chapter 1 Violence against women is an issue swept under the societal rug. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to hear about it. Over the next eight episodes, we will do both, turning the spotlight on the violence against women happening in our Nova Scotian communities. In this first episode, we will introduce what violence against women is, why it happens, what forms does it take, and why women don't always leave. Especially, we will focus on the most common form of violence against women, intimate partner violence or domestic violence. Violence against women is hard to understand if you've never experienced it, but we all have a duty to learn so we can see the warning signs in others and be advocates. This podcast will feature the voices of those who have dedicated their lives to ending violence against women in Nova Scotia. Transition House Association of Nova Scotia is one of the champions of this cause. FANS is the umbrella association of violence against women organizations across the province and is on the front lines of this battle. This podcast uses their knowledge to pull back the curtain on this critical issue. While this problem is complex and hard to understand for people who have not lived through it, it is our responsibility to learn so we can end violence against women. We were also privileged to have the survivors of violence against women speak with us and share their heart-wrenching true stories. Those women wanted to share their stories with you because no one should ever have to experience what they went through. Ending violence against women begins with ending its stigma. Women, like Ginger, are determined to no longer be silent. My first very abusive relationship, I knew that something wasn't okay. I knew that I needed to leave. um, And I knew that it was going to be dangerous when I tried to leave. So 
I had actually set up a plan on my own where I decided I would go stay in a hotel for a night, which I did not have the money to do, but I, I knew that I needed to be out of my home that night. Um, so I had planned to go stay at the hotel so that that way when he found out that the relationship was over, he wouldn't be able to find me at my apartment. And, um, and that way I knew I would be safe. Fleeing an abusive relationship is one of the most dangerous and difficult situations for women to navigate. In this first episode, we will be exploring the immense complexity of abuse, why leaving can be so dangerous for women, and the direct and indirect barriers women face when they leave. The first barrier is stigma. Let's face it, society makes a lot of assumptions about women in general, let alone women who fall outside the social norm. Women who seek support from transition houses, a place of temporary accommodation designed for the use of people in need of support when reintegrating into society, such as victims of domestic violence, are no exception. Dawn Ferris, the executive director of Autumn House, explains why stereotypes about abused women are often misguided. I believe that there's two opinions of, of, of the clientele, the, you know, high functioning couple that are just hidden abuse behind closed doors and, and these women don't want to come in for services, or there's the belief that it's just a poverty issue. And what we know is that domestic violence, intimate partner violence is, is the one thing that crosses all socioeconomic groups, um, all religions, all relationship types. It's a big problem. It's a complex problem. The clients of transition houses may be diverse, but their problems are usually similar. However, the sensationalized displays of abuse in Hollywood are not always what women are dealing with. Emily Stewart, executive director of Third Place in Truro, explains. If you've been living with your partner for 15 years, you don't have a rental history of your own, you don't have a credit card, a lot of times there's um, financial abuse. So that's a huge way to control somebody is by controlling their access to money and removing them from their ability to build credit or have any of those things. So when they go to start out on their own, it's just not possible. A lot of times it'll also be their credits shot because the credit cards were taken out, but under her name, used by him, she had no access to it. Physical violence does not encompass the entire spectrum of violence women face in abusive relationships. Dawn goes into more detail. It's everything from actual physical abuse. So, you know, hitting, slapping, punching, choking, uh, all of the physical stuff. Um, it also is emotional, verbal. It could be financial. Women who don't have access to their, their bank accounts or who aren't allowed access to, to money, um, who aren't allowed access to their friends, their families, uh, it's, it, it encompasses everything. Uh, so I lived in a basement apartment and then there was a family that lived above me. I didn't know the family. I had no relationship with them. Um, but when I was, you know, walking towards the home, I could see that um, their vehicle had been completely smashed. And so, you know, when you're in a situation like that and you know how someone behaves and you know, you know, the context of what's happening, I knew myself that it, it had to be my ex that had done that. And so, you know, when 
when I got there, the police didn't say a lot to me. Um, and I said, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure I know something about this. And they, you know, they didn't really take me very seriously. So I went down to my apartment and when I got downstairs, there was a, a large knife sticking in my door and there was a note. The note, I don't remember exactly what it said, but I know it led me to believe that he may have harmed himself and be inside the apartment. So I didn't know what I was walking into. It may sound simple. If a partner is abusive or threatening, then you should leave. No matter how bad the financial consequences or the potential damage to property, surely the freedom from abuse would be better. However, it's not that simple. Leaving can have severe consequences on all aspects of a person's life, not just their relationship. Helen Morrison, formerly the executive director of Willow House in Sydney, explains. It's so difficult to uh, live on, uh, you know, to, to change your life so completely that you may end up on income assistance or you may have to, you know, down, uh, downsize your life to a place where it's almost uh, undoable to uh, have your children taken out of their homes and their their lives and their friends and their neighborhoods and their schools that they were used to, um, to be blamed by some people for the, for your own leaving of a relationship that is dangerous for you. Um, how people don't see the necessity sometimes or they need for someone to leave such an, a relationship. And, and that comes from not only communities, but also from families. And that's just the social aspect. The legal system is a whole other can of worms. Quick, off the top of your head, tell me how you would file a claim to the civil court. Do you even know the first step? As Emily Stewart explains, victims of abuse are expected to be able to do this during the most stressful time of their lives with virtually no help. The, the amount of barriers is stunning. And the fact that uh, women have to navigate these complex systems, they have to become like paralegals, they have to become um, teachers because, you know, their kids are usually taken out of school. Like they have to do all of this during the hardest six weeks of their lives. This would be an overwhelming situation for anyone, especially when the most important people in your life are on the line. If they get involved with the criminal justice system because there's been an assault or threat or something like that, then there's the whole criminal justice aspect, which is a you know, which is an incredibly difficult um, journey or process to go through. And uh, then there's the fear of losing your children. There's all kinds of custody and and other issues. So you know, it goes on and on and on. And there's hundreds of reasons why women stay in relationships. And you know, uh, and at the very least, it's also about self-preservation because some women understand that if they try to leave their abusive relationship, then they're they're very possibly going to be in more danger of being harmed seriously or killed by their partner. And statistics certainly hold that out for um, 
you know, for women who are in highly abusive, coercive control uh, types of relationships where um, the partner, once they leave, he escalates his own behavior and becomes even more violent and more threatening. So I went back upstairs to get the police and brought them downstairs with me. And they just kind of looked at it and went, well, you know, this really isn't anything to do with us. And, and I said, well, this makes me believe he may be inside. I don't, you know, I don't know what's happening. So they stayed with me. I opened up the door and it was a very small bachelor apartment. So it was just everything in one room, literally everything inside my apartment was completely destroyed there was like glass hanging out of the walls he had smashed every glass every plate uh tore up the furniture the bed like everything was completely destroyed that he could destroy so of course i was quite upset and I, I, you know, looked to the police officer like, what, you know, what do I do? And he said, well, this, this really isn't a matter for us. You, you could go to civil court and, you know, do something, but there's nothing we can do about this. And, you know, and of course I was saying this is because I broke up with him. The reason that I tell that story is because most people would think, okay, if you just get away from him, you'll be safe. So I did get away from him. And what he did was destroy, you know, something and harm people around me that didn't even know me. And so the horrific part of that for me was, you know, of course it was terrible that everything I had was destroyed, but it was more terrible to me that here there were a family that I didn't even know and their property was destroyed because of me. That's how I felt. We live in a world where people who are supposed to love each other sometimes end up hurting each other. As of 2019, women were the predominant victims of domestic violence in Nova Scotia. 78% of victims were women. How do women find themselves in these circumstances in the first place? And how come women find themselves in the victim role so frequently? For Emily Stewart, the issues are structural. Because of the patriarchal roots of our culture that women were not on equal standing. So um, they were also kind of property. So with your property, you can do as you please, you know, the whole rule of thumb, like you can beat your wife with a stick as long as it's not too much wider than your thumb. Like these are just like things that were so ingrained and so like normalized that it kind of feels weird to say, well, violence against women is a real problem. And people will say, well, violence is a problem. It's like 100%, 100% with you there. However, there is a gendered trend here. And so violence against women is a very wide scope. It can be on an individual level. It can be at a systemic level, organizations, institutions. Um, it's you know, a very kind of holistic way of looking at violence, I would say. On the other side of the coin, 
why do men so often stumble into the role of the abuser? And as Don Ferris explains, stumbling into it is usually the best way to think about it. I bet you if you talk to little boys when they're like six or seven and say, what do you want to do when you grow up? No little boy would say, boy, I wish I could grow up and hurt the people I love. Like, that's not what they want. They want to grow up and have loving people around them and loving relationships. It's just, you know, their lives, trauma, poverty, all of those trajectories that, that steer people off the course of having uh, what they want um, play an impact. There's no excuse for using violence or violent behavior. Um, as an adult, uh, you make your choices. So there's no excuses here. But childhood trauma, childhood poverty, adulthood without, uh, you know, the poverty levels are high, um, unhappy, uh, angry, toxic masculinity, you know, all of those things, the patriarchy, the patriarchy doesn't help men either. It's that belief that you're as a man, you're supposed to grow up and, and have a perfect life and a perfect family and, and, and get the job that fulfills you and makes you lots of money. And those things aren't a reality for lots of people. So it's, it's, um, we, we, we work hard with our, uh, men's support counselors to, to, uh, help men have some self-awareness and make the changes, uh, to live violence free. And sometimes that looks like having to talk about your past trauma. I use the statistic that uh, 75 to 78% of victims of domestic violence or intimate partner violence are women. That's what we know. And I liked any public presentation I give, I start with that um, statistic because uh, inherently that means that what 23 to 25% of victims are male. Because um, inevitably at any public uh, talk, uh, there will be a question period at the end and somebody will raise a hand and say, but what about men? Well, what about men? Men are being abused as well. Just statistically, uh, it's a it's a it's a female issue. It's a, it hits women harder, bigger. The amounts uh, larger, seventy five to seventy eight percent. And so um, we know that that men can land in abusive relationships and be the victim. And so, you know, our twenty four seven crisis line, um, we we do support men if they're in crisis. We don't offer them shelter. We're a female shelter. In 2018, men were accused of intimate partner violence at a rate of nearly four times that of women in Canada. Disproportionately, men are the abusers. But anyone who has read a history book shouldn't be surprised by this. Emily Stewart explains. When you think about our history, what we learn about is war. Like, every war, every conquest, every colonial expansion was violent and it was men in those in those wars and then you know they return home and what they've just seen and what they've just experienced is hugely traumatic and violence in order to you know protect I guess men's psychology you know early on in life um, roughhousing and playing around and punching and kicking and all those like horseplay kind of behaviors um, become normal and um, it just kind of turns to a situation where men are just more socialized for violence and then there sometimes people are just more violent um, however it's usually a pretty hefty combination of nature and nurture coming together um, and then there's there is social stress so if, you know, the 
GDP of a country and the level of violence against women is correlated. So the places that are harder pressed for a sustainable way of living are um, usually the places that are more violent against women. So because men are put in that position in a lot of places because of our kind of colonial patriarchal views that men are providers and then if they are unable to live up to that standard or they work in a place where they're demeaned and kind of are abused in that way, they kind of come home and take it out on their family. Um, so it's there's a lot of intersecting pieces there. Boys will be boys. We have not only made it socially acceptable for men to be violent, we have glamorized it. We ask men to take control of their lives, to take charge, to suck it up, to be a man, even though we know that that's not healthy for men. We know it's not obtainable, but we still expect it. And when control in the workplace or social spaces cannot be achieved, some men seek it out at home in the only way that they know how. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Violence against women is incredibly complex with so many issues hidden beneath the surface. It involves gender, economics, socialization, politics, religion. Pull on any one of these threads and the entire rat's nest comes with it. Helen Morrison knows you cannot pin down just one cause of violence against women. So I don't think that it sits at the feet of all men. Um, I think it sits at the feet of society. Ginger, whose story you have heard through this episode and will continue to follow through this podcast, was confronted by her former partner again, not long after he destroyed her home. Face to face with her abuser, there was little Ginger could do. You know, I didn't know of any other supports. The police had been there, hadn't offered me any support. Now he was in my in my apartment. Um, and I also know how violently he reacted the last time I said I didn't want anything to do with him. So I certainly wasn't about to tell him that while he was in the apartment with me. Um, and so I remember us leaving the apartment together because uh, he wanted to go somewhere. And the police were actually sitting down the street. Maybe someone called and said he was there. I don't know. Um, but they didn't intervene. They didn't offer me any help again. Uh, they, they kind of, you know, made a comment about how we were doing and, you know, looked at me as if, like, I was crazy for going back with him, which was not, not what I wanted. And, you know, didn't didn't find any way to offer me any support. And I remember in that moment feeling so humiliated that here I was out on the street with him and, you know, and they were, you know, just kind of smug looking at me, wondering why I was back with him. And I had no intention of being back with him and I didn't want to be with him. And it, in fact, it took me months to be able to leave him because I had nowhere to go and I had no support and because I was so afraid of his reactions. When faced with the choice of losing everything 
including your life, many women decide to stay with their abusers, especially when they think they have no one to turn to. But thanks to women like Emily, Dawn, and Helen, there is an alternative. In our next episode, we will look more closely at the organizations that exist to help women escape these situations by giving them a place to stay while they rebuild their lives. We go about trying to figure out how we're going to get them to the shelter. If they don't have a car or, you know, you live where there's no buses, you have to kind of navigate safety plan, make sure that they have a safe way to get to you. We will continue to follow Ginger's story when she made the difficult decision to leave an abusive partner to go to the safety of a transition house. I had, I had spent a couple weeks making a plan and trying to get out of our home with, with my daughter safely. You have been listening to Somebody Must Say These Things, a podcast made possible by the Transition House Association of Nova Scotia. FANS exists to eliminate violence against women in Nova Scotia. Their organizations provide a full range of support services to women and children in a safe, supportive environment and provide survivors of violence with opportunities to learn about available resources and alternatives to facilitate informed personal choices and decisions. FANS is not 100% government funded by the provincial or federal government. This needs to change. Go to fans.ca to learn how you can make a difference and help end violence against women. Podstarter.